What is it like growing up without a father? That's what my story is about. I was born in Greenville, Texas. And right after I was born, my father left. He went to Arizona, and I believe it was uh, behind another lady, another woman. And he realized he'd made a mistake, and he called my mother and said, hey, I'm sorry. Didn't take a couple of days. He was realized he made a terrible mistake. said, hey, I want to come back home. And 10 days later, the sheriff knocked on the door and she told my mother her husband had been shot and killed in Arizona. So I never knew my dad. I was less than two weeks old when that happened. Before I was a year old, my mother remarried. And we moved to Dallas, Texas. <clears throat> and I grew up thinking my last name was Thomas because my stepfather was Thomas. And, and as I enrolled in school, they enrolled me in school. I was just looking the other day at my second grade card, second 2C, my grade card, and I said Morris Thomas. When I was about 9 or 10 years old, I went back to visit my grandmother, back to Greenville to visit my grandmother, and I was bragging on my dad how he, we just bought a new home. And, and, uh, and, and as I was bragging on my dad, my grandmother looked me right in the eyes and said, that's not your dad, that's not your father. And she began to tell me the story about my, about my real father. And something inside of me just it turned. Things were just kind of different. At the end of the summer, my mother come to pick us back up, to, uh, and I confronted her as to why. She said, well, we were going to tell you. We just want to wait until the right time, and, uh, but never got around to it. And I thought, maybe that's why my father was more aggressive with his punishments and abuse, you know, and whippings and stuff, because I wasn't his own real son. My mother's name is Naomi, and most of you, if you've been here long enough, you, you, you know Naomi. She went to church here, uh, started here in 1975. And, and she, uh, her mother passed away when she was about eight years old, and, and she was raised by an aunt uncle, and aunt and uncle was a was very stout Christians, and they made her go to church, and she uh, became a Christian and knew the Lord, and she was raised that way. But here now she's married to an unbeliever. And uh, there was a lady who come by, walked by my mother's house, and she would see my mother hanging clothes on a line. Her name was Ruth. My mother's name is Naomi. I just thought this was strange. And her name was Ruth. <laughs> and Ruth would always ask my mother, why don't you come go to church with me? And my mother would make an excuse as to why she, you know, couldn't, you know. And the other day Ruth come by and She'd ask again, and mother make another excuse. And one day she came by, and she asked mother about, why don't you come to go to church with me? My mother turned around to, to give her an excuse, and Ruth was way down the street. And she thought, that's strange. She didn't even stand around to listen for my answer. But she ended up going to church with her and rededicating her life to the Lord and got saved and rededicated her life to the Lord. Now, my stepfather didn't believe in God. And he didn't want my mother going to church. My mother was started going to church, and he didn't want that. As a matter of fact, he became very abusive. He would come into the church, and he would drag her out of the church, pull her out of the church physically. 
and he'd beat her up. I hear him arguing and fighting. And this one evening I heard him arguing and fighting in the front room and my father was yelling, I'm going to kill you. And as he drew back his hand, my mother said to strike him. There was a picture on the wall of Jesus Christ that, that my mother had. And it was a picture of Jesus Christ sitting on Mount Olive or someplace overlooking the city of Jerusalem. I don't know if you've seen that picture with the moon behind him. And it was just a beautiful picture. And when he drew back a hand and hit her, that picture looked glowed, just glowed and lit up the whole room. And he ran out of the house. A few days later, he told my mother, it's got to be me or God. You've got to choose. My mother chose God, and they was divorced. <clears throat> and I'm glad she did. I started attending Mount Olive Church of God in Christ there in Dallas, Texas with my mother. And, and I remember one Sunday going to church, and the pastor was preaching on hell. And, and he was preaching so, so hard on hell. I mean, I could feel the flames. I could smell the coals. I mean, I mean, and I didn't want to go to hell. And so I remember going to the altar and begging God to save me. When I got up and I left church that day, something had changed. The grass was greener, the sky was bluer. It was just like heaven. Something happened inside of me, and I didn't know what it was. Because I didn't have any discipleship. I didn't have anybody who, who could teach, would teach me. But they had a lot of rules, and you do's and you don'ts, and you... Like the pastor said the other day, you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't go with girls who do. And I couldn't follow all those rules. And so as I entered in the, in the school, I kind of slipped away from that. My mother remarried and we moved to Amarillo, Texas with her new husband. And eventually he became abusive. And I remember moving, I remember getting into an argument with him and, and moving out because I was a teenager at this time and, and I wasn't going to tolerate abuse. And so I moved in with my sister. And a few weeks later, my mother left and moved to Omaha. She left out of that situation, moved to Omaha. A year later, I decided I'd come to leave Texas and move to come to Omaha just to be close to my mother. I was looking for a job, and I got a job at Creighton University in the student center cooking, flipping hamburgers and cooking. And, and they didn't waste any food. You had to eat all your mistakes. And I gained a lot of weight. <laughs> So I was complaining about how much weight I was gaining. And my next door neighbor was a Golden Glove fighter. And he says, hey, why don't you get some clothes, some sweat clothes and come down to the gym and work out. And you can sweat some little pounds off it. I said, hey, sounds like a good idea. You know, about this time it was uh, Ali and Frazier. And, uh, you know, and I thought, okay. So I began, to, I began to go down to the gym and work out. And one of the trainers saw me boxing. And him, not boxing, but hitting the bag and skipping rope. And he says, have you ever fought before? And I said, no, I haven't. He said, well, you got all these natural talents. He said, won't, let me, won't you let me train you to go into the Golden Gloves? I said, no, thank you. I'm not interested. But he kept talking to me, and he kept asking me, and eventually I said, okay, I'm an athlete. 
We loaded on a van one night and come to Lincoln. Our first, my first fight was in Lincoln, Nebraska. And they was going around trying to find somebody to fight me. Meanwhile, all everybody on my team was getting beat. They was getting knocked out and they were getting beat. And I'm from Omaha and I'm thinking, what in the world have I got myself into? They found this guy who would fight me. He was about three inches taller than me and he had some experience and, cause nobody knew who I was. And, and so, uh, they asked him, would you fight him? He said, yeah, I'll fight him. And I said, so we got in the ring, and, and I'm, I'm dancing around because now, you know, I've been watching Ali, you know, so I'm moving, I'm dancing around and doing my thing. And he threw this punch, this punch, and barely clipped me on the chin. I mean, I just happened to be moving back away from it. He barely clipped me on the chin. And my trainer told me, he says, take one step back next time and come back in with your combination. And so he threw that right hand again, and I took that one step back. I come back in with my combination and dropped him, and he went down, so... Knocked him out in the first round. I went to the shower and I come back and they were still trying to bring him too. So I don't know. I thought, man, this is easy. You know, wow, this is easy. My next fight was in the city of Golden Gloves here in Omaha, the Civic Auditorium. And I fought a guy by the name of Ron Standers, the bluff butcher. And he beat me. <laughs> and I learned about that, that. I learned about the next year about training, about road work, about getting out and running. I had a trainer who would get me up at 4 o'clock in the morning. We go out and we do road work and we train. And, and I learned that. And I come back and I won the Midwest Golden Glove. And I was two-time Midwest heavyweight Golden Glove champion. By the way, I was heavyweight, so I said I gained a lot of weight and I lost that. But that's how my boxing career got started. As you, the video said, I went to London and I fought the British Empire Heavyweight Champion. It was a tune-up fight for him and, and the European champion, Joe Bugner. And they thought, well, they looked at my record and thought, well, you know, he gets knocked out by this guy. He got, which is what the case. I had a dislocated shoulder, so um, they called it a knockout because I couldn't finish the fight. And so they invited me to come to fight, fight the British Heavyweight Champion. I ended up knocking him out in the third round. And I thought my career was really going to take off now. You know, I come back to Omaha. I mean, I come, out of, I come out of the hotel in London, and they sell papers on the street, and they talk about, unknown yank knocks out champ, you know, and I'm just sitting there, I'm talking, wow, you know, it's neat. Come back to Omaha, and there was nothing, and couldn't get any fights, and, but I became a sparring partner. Sparred with Larry Holmes, who was heavyweight champion. I sparred with jo- jo- uh, Ernie Shavers. I went back to London to spar with uh, Joe Buckner, who was a Brit Empire heavyweight champion. But I couldn't get any fights. And my, uh, my wife and my son, J.D., was, uh, you know, I've got, hey, I've got, I got to feed him. I'm no longer by myself. Now I'm married. I've got a kid. And, and so I started listening to bad advice. You know, committing a robbery, and that's what happened. You know, when you don't have that father influence, that's somebody you can go to, and you listen to, you listen to the wrong influence. You listen to wrong advice, peer pressure, and other things. It happens. Well, it was hard to find a job once I got out. So I got a job as a bouncer in the disco and the go-go places, and I was a bouncer because, you know, I had the boxing skills. I had to use them sometime. And, uh, that lifestyle was led into alcohol and drugs. Now, being an athlete, there was the times I wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street with somebody that was doing drugs. 
But there I was now. I caught, caught up in that community and found myself smoking, drinking, and there I was. And there were times I would get, be dressing and get ready to go to work, and I look in the mirror, and I look at myself in the eyes, and I begin, tears begin to run down my face, and I begin to ask myself, why are you doing this? Why are you like this? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. Been caught up in a life, in a style, in something that you know that you said that you probably would never do, and there you were. You, you find yourself in the midst of it. And as tears ran down to my eyes, and I asked myself, why? And then I'd shake myself off and get on and go on the work. On a Friday night, March 18, 1983, I went to a Prince concert. And at this Prince concert, uh, all the paraphernalia that, that, that's, that happened at these type of concerts were there. And so people, you know, passing stuff around and just, you know, partying. And, and I was right in the midst of it. And then there was this thought that came to my head, this, this still small voice that reminded me of a story my mother told me when I was a little boy about the Pied Piper. And it's about this town that was infested with rats and and. And they couldn't get rid of these rats, but they would follow this music. And so they hired this Pied Piper to come and to play this music. And he'd walk down the middle of the street, and all these rats would come out. And, and he'd play this music, and, they, and he'd walk right up to a raging river, and they'd go over into this raging river. And the boy said, this is what this music is like. These people on their way to hell and don't even know it. And I kind of shook myself. I thought, wow, somebody's, you know, um, somebody slipped me something here. I got home that morning, and my wife was just kind of fed up with my lifestyle. She was a good, I call her a goody two-shoes, good Lutheran girl, went to church every Sunday. My Sunday was going down to pick up the football parlor sheet and get my bets in. So She was fed up with that, so she went by my mother's house to tell her what was going on. That's one thing we didn't do. We didn't bring our parents into our situation, but she'd had enough. And she went by, and she told my mother. My mother came over. And she began to talk to me, told me about a dream she had about I was in his house. She thought it was my brother because my brother was a musician and he still lived in Dallas and he played with the groups. And she thought it was him, but she said, Morris, it was you. I dreamed you was in this house. It was like a big maze. You were trying to find your way out. And when I opened the door to get you out, there was a big serpent right in the middle of the floor. And he spoke up and says, you can't get him out. He's here to stay. And she said, devil, you're a liar. She said, she caught me by the hand and we took off running. She said... It's for this cause Jesus Christ come to set the captives free. And if you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he would set you free. And as she was saying that, that still small voice I heard before in the back of my head says, Morris, if you don't do it today, you'll never have another chance. And I just know, just as sure as I'm standing here today, I know sure than my name, as sure as I'm standing here today, if I wouldn't have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ that day, I wouldn't be here now. And I told my wife when she got home, I says, I'm changing, I'm done. I went and I got my shoebox full of marijuana and I dumped it in the, in the commode and flushed it. Hundreds of dollars worth of stuff. Don't feel sorry for me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and see, and I told her we were going to church. My mother's going to church here, so I came to church here. And after pastor had preached, Pastor Walker was a pastor. I said, he preached. He gave me an invitation. I came down to the altar. I knelt down and rededicated and gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ publicly. And my life just changed. Every time the church door was open, I was here. 
Wednesday night service, Sunday night service, Monday uh, Sunday night service, Sunday service, Sunday night. I was here when the church was open. I was hungry for the things of the Lord. I quit my bouncing job and I worked at a meat processing plant. And I go to work, I come home and I'd have dinner with my family and I'd pick up my Bible and that's what I would spend the rest of the evening reading my Bible. I was going through the Bible. And had the Lord just to teach me, to disciple me through the word with the power of the Holy Spirit. After about four years, one of the associate pastors came up to me and, and asked me to take the prison ministry. Glad Titus was going over to Omaha Correctional Center, and they were doing prison ministry. And he asked me, would I do that? And before I knew it, I said, sure. And after he walked away, I said, why did I say that? Last place I wanted to be was back in anybody's prison. <laughs> but since I said, okay, I went to prison. And... And as I walked through those gates, it was kind of like deja vu and the door slamming behind you and they patting you down and searching you. But when I walked into that chapel and those men came in that chapel and when I began to speak, it was like, it was like somebody took oil and poured it down my, down my head, down my body. I just felt the sensation and I just felt God's presence. And men responded to the message and many came to know Christ. I was invited down by a chaplain from Good News Jail and Prison Ministry to Douglas County Jail to do a service, and they were doing a service in the gym, and there were 66 men that came to that service. And when I shared my testimony and the message, 44 of those men got up out of their seats and came forward to pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. In my 25 years at Douglas County Correctional Center, I have seen hundreds of men and women come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And there are some sitting in the audience today, right now, who's part of that number. Right from your community. You know, I was reading in the book of Malachi, and I read chapter 4, the last few verses of that chapter. But Malachi said, I'm going to send Elijah that he will turn the hearts of the father back to the children and the hearts of the children back to their father. And that resonated with me. And that was the last word for 460 years God didn't say anything else. And I believe that that word is relevant today. I will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to their father lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That father sitting in this audience today, maybe you haven't been that father for your children. Maybe you have missed the mark. Maybe you didn't have a father growing up. But God became my father, and I realized that that God was my father. He began to do things for me and teach me and disciple me and mentor me with the power of the Holy Spirit. I remember the first time I went into the jail, Mr. Vitek, who was the director of corrections at that time, looked at my application, threw it back across the desk and said, I don't want no ex-con in my jail. They didn't say, well, wait a minute. So you check him out on the outside talking to the chaplain who invited me in. He said, I'll check him out in the, in the prison. I got people down there who could tell me what kind of socks he wore. 
checked it out, and my record was clean. A year later, Mr. Vitek called me in his office, and I don't worry, they gave me a gold badge that says chaplain. They said, why don't you, send, why don't you try to get a pardon? Why don't you go for a pardon? He says, I'll get the paperwork for you. He got the paperwork. I used to have lunch with uh, Judge John Hartigan, and uh, we'd have lunch. And my attorney was John Jabinis, who was a Jewish gentleman. And he said, I'll take the case for you. I took it before the governor, and I received the full pardon. My record completely eliminated, washed clean. As if I'd never committed a crime. I even was able to get a gun permit. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's a miracle. <laughs> but, but Jesus Christ, a hundred years from now, that full pardon won't mean anything. But a hundred years from now, the part that I receive with the Lord Jesus Christ will mean everything. God can be your father if you put your faith and trust in him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. If you sit here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you don't know God as your Father, you can know him today. Pastor Walt. Thank you, Chaplain, and uh, thank you for telling us your story, uh, your father's story, and uh, and uh, y- you need to work on our security team. Here. <laughs> That's your next calling, I think. Some of you here today, you heard that story, and you can relate to it in some way, and um, you missed out on some things. Um, maybe you did not have a father who was uh, emotionally present or physically present or maybe was present but very abusive. Um, we all have a father story. But the most important father story is the one that Chaplain shared here just a few moments ago. And that is the most important father that you could ever have is a heavenly father. And he can, he can fill in all the blanks and all the spaces that weren't filled in. He can heal all the wounds that a, an absent father inflicted or a present father inflicted. He can heal all those wounds. How many of you know God's grace is sufficient? God is able to make up for lost time. God is able to make up for lost relationships. That's who our God is. He's able to do that. And some of you here today... Uh, you don't have a relationship with God. And he wants to become your heavenly father today. And I want you to know it's not something that you can earn. It's not something you have to, you have to prove you're worthy of. The Bible calls salvation a free gift from God. It's a free gift. This relationship we can have with God the Father, it's a free gift. Many of you grew up with a dad who you had to earn his his favor. 
You had to do things just right for him to love you and accept you. And it was never, ever good enough. And in this day, you're still trying to prove that you're worthy to be loved by your dad. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Our Heavenly Father is completely different. We don't have to earn His favor. His, uh, it's nothing we can do. All we can do is come to Him just as we are and, and receive this, this gift of grace. And some of you are here today and, and you're ready to make that decision. And I want you to bow your heads with me. If everybody would do that. Here's what I know that is happening right now. I know that God is in this place by His Holy Spirit. And some of you are hearing that still small voice. Just as Chaplain Jackson heard that small voice. And for him, that voice said, if you don't make this decision today, this is it. And I don't know if that's true for you, but I do know this, that God is, is knocking perhaps on your heart. And he is, he's wanting to come in, but he's waiting for the invitation. He'll never force himself on you. He'll never make himself your savior, your Lord. It's, it's an invitation. We invite him. And if that's you today and you want to invite God to become your heavenly father, Jesus to become your savior, I want you to simply raise your hand if you would. And we're going to pray together. Anybody here today, if you just simply raise your hand. Several hands up. Anybody else in the balcony? In the balcony, thank you. The Bible says there's a simple prayer to pray. And the Bible says this. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so all you have to do is call out his name. Call out the name of Jesus. I want you to do that right now in your own words. If you raise your hand, it's, it's you and God right now, right where you're at. And just call out his name, Jesus. Save me. Jesus, would you forgive me? And he wants to pardon you today. Like that judge pardoned, the governor pardoned. Chaplain Jackson, God wants to pardon you today. And all you have to do is ask for the pardon. Would you pardon me, God? Would you forgive me of all my sin? Would you throw it into the sea of forgetfulness to never remember it again? And God right now wants to justify you just as if you had never, ever sinned. begin to thank God right where you're at. This is the first time you've ever prayed that or you're here today and you are saved, you are born again. Let's just begin to thank God. God, thank you for the free gift of eternal life. Thank you that you're our Heavenly Father today. Thank you that we are your sons and we are your daughters. Thank you, God, that you said you would never leave us and you would never forsake us. <laughs> Thank you, God. Can we all stand to our feet today? Let's begin to thank him today. Can we do that? Thank you, Lord.
Can we lift our hands to our Heavenly Father today? Can we do that? Just stretch out your hands today. God, we bless you. Father, we bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being our Father. God, I pray for every father in the place today. Every father here today, God, whether they're an elderly father or they're just a first-time dad, God, I pray that you would bless the fathers in the house and cause them to be a blessing to their children, to their sons and their daughters. God, I pray that you would heal all father wounds, God, in this place today. God, we open our hearts wide to you, God, and we ask that you would go to those deep places inside of us. And God, that you'd mend the broken places, God. God, that you would be the the father that fills in all the gaps, Lord. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Can we put our hands together for the Lord today? Thank you, Lord.